Welcome to the Just Music Podcast. I'm your host, Jalen, Jalen Williams. Um, Marco is not on this interview that we have, but um, I'm very excited to introduce y'all to somebody uh, who is definitely um, well accomplished in the music scene and the art scene here in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, had the pleasure of meeting him, uh, I want to say a few months ago, I think it was. It was at a um, creative arts slash networking event uh, hosted by the Creative Mornings Charleston. Shout out to that amazing organization. But um, I've had this guy's name be said to me multiple times. So when I heard that he was going to be at that event, I was like, I'm definitely going to go um, <laughs> introduce myself to him. But he is a, I mean, he does so many different things in music. He's a, he's a musician. He's a singer. He's, um, can I also say composer? I, I mean. No, not, not a composer, but, you know, I, I can arrange for someone to transcribe. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, singer, a musician, arranger, and also founder of the Color of Music Festival, which we're also going to uh, talk about. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Lee Pringle. How are you doing, sir? I'm great, Jalen. I'm excited to be a part of your show. And actually, we met when you were in college on a Zoom uh, call that Dr. Karen Chandler that is had right. as a guest. And you were one of the students. <laughs> that is right. Yes, absolutely. Shout out to uh, Dr. Karen Chandler. That's that's one of my yes. one of my favorite people. She is incredible. And yes, I remember that. I believe it was Understanding Creativity. Exactly. It was that class. I had myself and subsequently uh, the the CEO of the design firm that I use, mm -hmm. Big Creative Services, Tom Galmarini, was also a guest uh, because I think uh, Dr. Chandler was connecting you all with all the things that arts administrators have to do. And that just happened to be one of the uh, topics. And I was yeah. happy to be a part of it. Yeah, no, I, it, it was a pleasure to, you know, hear from you and and, and just hear your mindset and perspective, because, uh, I mean, that class in general that Dr. Carolyn Chandler uh, was teaching was incredible. And she's just an incredible person. She just is. Amazing. Yeah. Woman. So, but we pretty you put you kind of already opened up the gate. So let's let's just jump right in. Um, so talk about. And, and you can kind of start wherever, but, you know, talk about, you know, where you're from and how did you find yourself uh, getting involved in music in the arts? Well, um, I actually started like most rural um, unincorporated uh, settings that um, folks from my community, the black community in Berkeley County encountered. And that was the black church. In this case, it was a, a Mount Pisgah AME church. The church is still there. It was founded by my great-great-grandfather, Isom Pringle. And um, I sang and listened to and experienced and absorbed my family members singing unaccompanied, perfect pitch coming in and basically using a washboard and a bass drum. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, I'll be 60 this year, so that kind of tells you I'm from that generation. Right. Um, when people actually uh, had a piano, but it was an untuned piano in the corner. Uh, nobody could play it. 
So as the time progressed, you know, relatives became proficient in keyboard and so forth. And so really I started in church and was very lucky uh, to have music educators. Uh, my first music teacher was a woman by the name of uh, Mildred Gilmore Brevard. She was a phenomenal woman. She not only was a teacher, music education teacher, she was a songstress. She performed during many Piccolo Spoleto events with uh, the legendary Lonnie Hamilton and the Diplomats. And as a kid, you don't know that your teacher has a life outside the classroom. So I just knew her as my band director. But she went to South Carolina State College, which is now South Carolina State University. And, you know, their program, I don't know what it is like now, but back in that time, I mean, they put out some incredible musicians. One of our big luminaries, who's a South Carolina State University alum, is Charlton Singleton, who's mm-hmm. a member of, um, you know, Ranky Tanky and uh, just known for an, his incredible work. Mm-hmm. So I was very lucky to have a, a music educator, educator that exposed us to all types of music from soundtracks. Uh, of the 70s on television shows to all kinds of things that we played in band. So that sparked my my curiosity. And that kind of kept going all through my military days when I spent eight years in the U.S. Navy. I organized groups to go sing at convalescent homes and what we used to call back then old folks home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, coming back to Charleston after the military and getting involved with the Charleston Symphony Chorus, the Charleston Men's Chorus. I, I sang in that group for many years. And starting the Charleston Gospel Choir, which was an official affiliate of the Charleston Symphony for 12 years when I started it. And that led to me starting Color of Music. And so it's that's the, the Reader's Digest chronologically of how I got into this space of producing classical um, festivals. Right. Okay. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a few things that I want to unpack there. Um, so one, it's really interesting that, um, and, you know, a lot of people, a lot of musicians, you know, start in the church. Um, I, I started with band and and at 12 years old and I didn't start getting involved in in church and and doing music there until college. I was, Uh I was a a bassist for Mount Zion AME church, downtown Charleston. I know Mount Zion very well. I produced some concerts there. Yes, I remember. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I remember we had that conversation and I remember. Um, I think it was my freshman or either my sophomore year or something like that. Um, I believe you put on a concert at Mount Zion Amy Church. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I did a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, it, it just goes to show how small the world is and how small <laughs> Dawson is. And, and when you mentioned um, how, you know, you came from a generation, an era where, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily a lot to work with as far as music. Nope. So <laughs> you really had to uh, have great teaching mm-hmm. and also have to have uh, a will to, you know, really perfect and, and master your craft. Whereas today in my generation, we have all these different you know, resources on your laptop and garage band and everything right. to, to create stuff, Sibelius for composition and ranging. I mean, it's just all kinds of things. And, you know, I will just add that um, generationally, every generation has this unique, um, what I would call expansive 
leap towards something that seemed primitive at one time. And, you know, I have an incredible ear for picking out wrong notes, particularly in choral settings. (laughs) Although I have directors who prepare the choirs. I sit in the tenor section because I usually end up having to sing. There's not enough tenors. And because I'm not a choir director, I can conduct a choir if I need to, but I like to leave that to folks who perfect that. I can I can literally sit in the middle of the choir and know when the altos are off, sopranos are sharp, flat, or you know their consonants and the way in which they're saying the phrasing um, is not good. And I always say teachers multitask with their ears and so do choir directors because they have so many people in the room. Sometimes it's good to have a technical person sitting in there. And that's why teachers have observations. I don't know how often they do it now, but you get in this routine of how you prepare people. You kind of forget about some of these other things that are going on. Mm -hmm. So for some, it's not a good fit to have a producer sitting in the choir setting, but I'm just Mm -hmm. one of those guys that I've learned not to work with choir directors who can't handle that. And it's just not a good fit that mean that they're not good people and I'm not a good person. But yeah, I I think that all those things you, you, you hit it right on. Yeah. And I, and, and I, and, I really like how you, you know, put an emphasis on having a strong ear, you know, because uh, I believe, you know, as musicians, whether you're a singer or you're playing an instrument, um, really developing that ear is so vital um, mm-hmm. because. And I'm going to get kind of nerdy for a second. <laughs> so for those who are listening, and don't understand what I'm talking about. It's OK. But, um, you know, because when I started doing music in band, um, you know, I was more so focused on, you know, just reading music, learning what's on the page and play what's on the page and, you know, know all your dynamics and things like that. But then when I started teaching myself bass guitar and then when I started teaching myself music theory, that's where I really started to develop my ear for music. So not just being able to play what's on a page and, you know, make sure I play all the right notes, make sure I'm on beat and all these other things. But then that's where I really started to develop my musicality and my musicianship and my creativity as a musician. And then also being around other musicians. Um, And because, you know, I teach on a, on a more so uh, academic level, like I teach a lot of younger musicians. And one of the things that I stress to them is, Hey, um, you know, don't, get so caught up in the technicality of the music. You want to have that. You want to have that foundation of theory. Um, But, you know, develop your ear too. go play with other musicians. Cause that's, that's really how you're going to get better playing with other musicians that are better than you. And, you know, if you're on a choir, um, you know, like listen to those and all the voices, the the outside center, the bass, the sopranos, and, you know, Really study and, and just hearing you talk, you are somebody that is truly a student of your craft. You know, it doesn't sound like you've gotten to a point where, yeah, I'm so good at this that I can just, you know, I don't have to keep learning, you know, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and I just I just really appreciate that because that's 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 what separates the good musicians from the great ones, in my opinion. So. Well, I I love learning. Uh, I will say that. And, you know, one of my biggest um, joys that I get to do this outside of producing concerts in other states and you know doing different things around the country and soon uh, abroad, um, I stay connected to music through my community choir. Mm-hmm. And I have often been on the line saying, you know, 25 years later, having a gospel choir 
how can I do that and do five to six festivals in Sacramento and Houston and Tulsa and New York and these different places. But that Tuesday night from 530 to 730 actually keeps me grounded because colored music has professional musicians. I would say about 40 percent have their doctorate in musical arts and 60% have a master's in performance and the rest, is, rest of them are just were performance majors. That's where we are as far as the quality of the musician that we bring in a chamber setting, uh, in an orchestral setting, even vocalists, pianists, organists, because we cover all of those segments. That community choir every Tuesday reminds me of what music means to people because the vast majority of the singers over a 25 year period are well into their late seventies and eighties. And I often say to the choir, I have not only been at every performance, I've produced every performance for 25 years. And that helps you to develop a lot of skills. A lot of it I did acquire under the, um, tutelage of a, a person like Emily Remington, who used to be the choir master at Grace Cathedral. Back then it was Grace Episcopal Church, right next to uh, Mount Zion uh, on Wentworth and Glebe mm-hmm. Street. And um, Emily Remington was someone from yesteryear. She was someone who you know, did music and was a trailblazer as a woman conductor uh, when women didn't have those platforms. And she literally is the person who started the Charleston Symphony Chorus. And she conducted it for 18 years before retiring from Grace and there. And I had the opportunity, my spiritual ensemble performed for her when she was at Frankie uh, here in Mount Pleasant um, uh, in a skilled nursing home. I say all that because Emily would approach a score so methodically with dynamics first, what she was going to do in certain measures, if there were melismas or the very difficult fugue part of that choral score, we would rehearse those things first. And all that kind of stuff just stayed in your ear. And I'm, I'm going back mm-hmm. 35 years ago, <laughs> a little bit longer than that, actually. <laughs> um, but you develop that ear and you develop on knowing when to pivot. And so you go from classical repertoire highly a range of African-American spirituals to the white European masterworks. Mm -hmm. That is a lesson that you accumulate if you're one of those lucky persons like me. Most people don't get a chance to sing gospel on Tuesday and then turn around and do, (laughs) you know, Mozart's Requiem and, you know, uh, the... uh, so many of those cool masterworks that I produce at the Color Music from Carmina Barana to Beethoven's Night Symphony, Schicksalslied, German Requiem, I can go on and on and on and on. But anyway, yeah. uh, Mount Zion is where I had my spiritual ensembles debut, actually. Absolutely. And, and to, you know, to hear you talk about it and, and, and bring in the fact that, you know, it, it sounds like you, you have a very eclectic background in, in, in music. It's not just, just, uh, um, one thing like you understand uh, music, uh, not just from the creative side, but you also understand music history, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that's something that uh, is very important. You know, I think um, music history is something that is very important. It's something that we should definitely talk about more. Because I, 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 I took um, a yeah, college at Charleston. I don't I don't know if this teacher is still teaching it, but uh, Dr. O'Brien, 
Uh, he was teaching a class called, uh, I think it was music culture. And we learned about music and mm-hmm. how uh, it relates to different cultures around the world. And that mm-hmm. really like opened up my my <laughs> eyes and my brain to, wow, like there's the way we may think about music over here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. is not how somebody may think about music over in South America or Africa oh. or Asia. So it's, 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 it's something that is very interesting and there's a lot of rich knowledge in it. And it's a chance to, you know, also learn new skills and to diversify, you know, your understanding of people and, and mm-hmm. culture. Because, you know, people in, in, in um, music, it, it plays a huge, huge role in, in culture and how we all Absolutely. You know, relate to one another, discussions that we have with one another, how we, how we move forward, you know, in society and all those things. So, yeah, I, I think... Which, which, which you hit on was was perfect. Now I did want to get to some other things. Um, yeah. I want to talk about the Charleston um, Symphony Gospel Choir. Did I say that right? The Charleston Gospel Choir. Charleston, Charleston Gospel be, Choir. Yeah, okay. it used to be this. The, when I first started the choir in the ninety eight ninety nine season of the symphony. It was called then the CSO Gospel Choir. I actually gave it that name after talking to the executive director at the time because I was in the symphony chorus, which used right. to be called the Singers Guild. It was called the Charleston Singers Guild for those years that Emily Remington started it. And then it officially changed when she retired, I believe, uh, to the the CSO chorus. So yeah, the Charleston Gospel Choir is the one that you were referring to. Mm-hmm. Got you. And, and, I, and I brought them up because I think when you and I talked over the phone, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned, because I, you know, people who know me, they know that I did a two-year executive fellowship with the Charleston Symphony Orchestra, uh, which was nothing short of spectacular. Enjoyed it. I love every, I love everybody over there. Yeah, um, good people. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But so I went to uh, the warehouse where they store all of the equipment and, like that. and I was just, you know, running through, you know, boxes. The, yeah, the boxes. Cause I saw a bunch of CDs and, yeah. you know, I'm 24, but I still listen to C- like, I have a whole CD collection. Um, all those archive I, recordings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I found, um, a gospel CD. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't, was it the Christmas CD? I can't remember, but, um, it was a CSO gospel choir compact disc. Yeah. And, um, I still have it. And I was listening to it. I was like, wow, this is incredible. I was like, I need to find out more information about this. Um, like how did this come about? <laughs> and, um, your name was on the CD. <laughs> there goes that Lee Pringle again. I need, I need, just need to go meet this guy somehow. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but eventually we're going to meet. And, um, Funny. <laughs> so like, you know, share some insight and perspective on that. Like, what was that experience like for you, you know, being a part of that choir and, you know, putting on those concerts, putting out a, a CD, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, let me just say that the Charleston Symphony Orchestra is one of South Carolina's oldest professional arts organizations. And I have so much admiration for the symphony and the people who make up that organization because everything that I'm doing today, 
I cut my teeth from uh, producing orchestral concerts, doing it with them for 12 years. So I produced an annual MLK concert and Gospel Christmas, which was with the symphony and the gospel choir that I started in 1998-99 season of them. And so all of that was um, a spinoff, so to speak, because at the time that the symphony agreed to partner with me in that way, Charleston was on the cusp of becoming what you know it to be today. So all the events, you know, Fashion Week, Food and Wine, Spoleto having an incredible foundation now, a lot of that stuff wasn't in place. And in fact, Spoleto had so many challenges for about 20 years, maybe Um, a little bit more. Most people would be shocked that it would even survive. I'm talking board walkouts, um, (laughs) bankruptcy, and the symphony experienced all those things as well. So Charleston was not the the place that we know it as today, a cultural mecca, you know, the the Charleston Music Hall and the Jazz Orchestra, you know, Charlton Singleton and all those folks, you know, doing all this wonderful stuff. All of that started with really the Charleston Symphony. There was a group called the Charleston Renaissance Singers. I don't even think they're around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then came along the CSO Gospel Choir. So, I was lucky enough to be asked to start the gospel choir because I had been in the symphony chorus. I knew how the orchestra part worked with the choir because I sat on risers behind the orchestra. Got to know some of the black conductors, catapult. I brought it to the symphony a couple of years to do a February concert honoring Chevalier de Saint-Georges. Mm-hmm. And they were struggling just to get their footing again after coming out of insolvency and suspending operations for two years. These are all things you did, probably don't know anything about because when you came to them, they were you know, yeah. doing pretty well. <laughs> but I, yeah. I often say to people, I know where the catacombs are. So, you know, anybody who wants to get the history, <laughs> right? I can tell you about the John Calmanati walkout in 1996 and, and quitting on Spoleto on Charlie Rhodes. Oh. This is the drama that goes on in a dramatic type of art form Uh that makes it what it is. So that whole thing of you discovering that CD, I find it quite touching because that was a chapter that I really was just doing what I thought was the right thing to do. And I knew that the choir had changed the music scene in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there's Low Country Voices, there's the Taylor Festival Choir, there are a lot of other organizations, but the Symphony Chorus, the, the CSO Gospel Choir, now the Charleston Gospel Choir, we were the precursors that solidified choral music, choral excellence, and partnering with orchestras, jazz bands, and so forth, changing the way people view music music in this regional setting, not a corporate city like New York. Yeah, like in... in- you said something that um, sparked a, a great question that um, I, I would definitely I definitely want to ask you um, because you you have such great knowledge of, you know, the music and art scene here in Charleston. So when I got here to Charleston. It was 2017. I was a freshman at College of Charleston, graduated from College of Charleston in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when I was a kid, you know, I visited Charleston occasionally with my parents or like I went on a school field trip, but 
the Charleston that I know today, <laughs> I don't remember it being like this when I was a kid. So, and I don't even, I, even now, like dating back to 2017, it, the city has changed so much. I believe it's changed for the better. You can also say Absolutely. that things yeah. have gotten worse. But, but as far as the music and art scene here, I tell people all the time, there's not a city quite like Charleston. And as far as the infrastructure, the, the culture, just and the talent here. And I tell people this all the time. Like one of the reasons why Marco and I, we did this podcast is because we understood the level of talent and just uh, value that exists here in this city, just with yeah. music. And we was like, we want to make sure all those people that we come across, that they have a platform to, you know, tell their stories, express themselves and, and, and other things like that. So I guess at what point, cause you're from Charleston. So at what point did you, did you notice like, yes, yeah, Charleston's really about to like blow wide open. Cause you, you, you <laughs> explained all those things about the symphony, the Spoleto, also your work with, with the choir and music. So, so to answer your question, when did I know that Charleston had uh, got to a point of no return. <laughs> Being, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were two things. Um, and I don't talk about this much because um, it, it just, it, it's just kind of been parked aside. For seven years, I ran with a partner out of Burlington, Vermont, the Charleston International Festival of Choirs. You could probably Google it and find some press releases and some other things. Um, and that was for um, a time frame right before Charleston started getting awards for being the number one destination by Condé Nast, Travel and Leisure, and all these travel blogs. Mm -hmm. And the first three years of the Charleston International Festival Choirs, we could get hotel rooms in the center city area. You know what I'm talking about around mm -hmm. Marion Square, right, right. Mm -hmm. you know, because uh, that's where most of the stuff is. By the time we got to the seventh year, the hotel rates had increased so exponentially. We decided the festival wasn't cost effective because we were bringing choirs from Germany and other places around the country. And they wanted a downtown Charleston experience. And we had to house them in North Charleston and bust them into the city to have dinner there and to do other things and have the performances, that's when I knew the city had changed. And um, the Charleston Visitors Bureau, which is called Explore Charleston, mm -hmm. when I started Color Music in 2013, I think it was 2015, I met with the CEO, Helen Hill, and asked her, what would be the ideal time for me to have this festival? Because I didn't want to compete with Southeastern Wildlife, I didn't want to compete with Spoleto. Moshe was, you know, in the, in the fall at a certain time. And she gave me a time frame. I'll never forget watching, you know, looking at all this analyticals and the PowerPoint she gave me. And she says, really, you can do it. The best time you can do it, Lee, is the first two weeks in February. <laughs> <laughs> Any other time, the occupancy rates for the hotels have skyrocketed. Now, that was like 2015, maybe it had been 2016. Mm -hmm. Today, there is no slow period in Charleston. Yeah, yeah. The occupancy rate is high year-round, and the average rate for me when I'm bringing in 110 personnel 
we're paying 160 to 170 a night that does not include taxes. So that gives you an idea going from $110 on average for a hotel room. Now the average hotel room, if you go to Expedia, Kayak, or any of these places that do hotels, you'll see that Charleston hotel rooms are three to $400 a night. Yeah, that's really crazy. And I'm playing at some of those hotels with my band. We're done. <laughs> so so that's when I knew things had changed, when we just had to say, this is not cost effective for these people to come in and be busted to Somerville, because that's where we could get the cheap yeah. rooms out. <laughs> yeah, it, I, mean, I mean, it's 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 a very. Um, it's very interesting and something that definitely deserves attention and study mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it, it has its pros and it has its cons, but um, I mean, just uh, again, you know, what, what Charleston has as far as music in the arts scene here, it's, it's, it's unlike anything. It's like unlike seen. any other city. And I will tell you, cause we, you know, we, we do a residency and Sacramento, which is the state yeah. capital of California. Which I wanted you to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they they have embraced the festival. In fact, we have our largest audiences, the most sold out events, because California, I often say the way California goes, so does the rest of America. So I'm proud to say that, you know, we've got some locked, solid um support in its capital city. And a lot of that came from City Hall. It also comes from their visitors bureau, the the CEO there, and uh, their chief diversity officer are the leads for what we do in in Sacramento. But we're also about to venture into Phoenix. We're about to venture into Portland, Oregon. We're about to venture into Minneapolis, St. Paul. I'm working on a project with the Gordon Parks Foundation, where we're gonna bring Gordon Parks music, his orchestral music to the stage. So all of this started in this wonderful place that we call the Low Country. Mm-hmm. And uh, although I we're going to be going to London next year and St. Lucia, I really feel that the reason that I want to have a domicile here is because I know how special the the, the scene is. And you going to the College of Charleston, you were so lucky to go to a city university in the heart of the city, and you can be immersed and walk everywhere. Literally, you can walk everywhere if you attend the College of Charleston uh, and and experience all these things as an arts administrator and as a musician and an artist. So you're a lucky man. Yeah, very fortunate, very blessed. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, everything happens for a reason. You know, hearing your story. It, it you know, you are somebody who has walked <laughs> very locked in with your passion in your purpose, you know, whatever, whatever God put inside of you, you was like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and, 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 and I can, I can identify with that, you know, because that's, that's, that I feel the exact same way. You know, I knew at a, at a, at a when I got to at 16, I said, you know, music is what I'm going to do. I just don't know how, what I'm going to do with it. And when I got to college of Charleston and I learned about the arts management program and I learned about the value that exists in this city, I was like, oh yeah, we're gonna run. <laughs> we're gonna run. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do this. And 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 um I'm so grateful for my co-host and 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 everybody that supported, you know, the podcast and myself along the way. Um so Mr. Lee Pringle, man, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I do want to I do want to give you a few shout-outs. So 
to the listeners who are in Charleston, uh, the Color of Music Festival is going to be having their Black History Month concert series in Charleston, uh, February 6th to February 10th. They have a lot of exciting performances coming up. They got a piano, violin duo, piano and vocal recital. They also have, uh, let me, I just had it in my notes. Let me push this over. <laughs> but yeah, all female virtuoso, a composer spotlight, giving a spotlight to uh, legendary composer Edmund Thornton Jenkins. Jenkins, yeah. In a panel discussion. And then mm-hmm. also, um, I believe to close out those last two days, a quintet uh, presentation, yep. And yep. the finale of uh, Edmund Thornton Jenkins' Charlestonia, his uh, folk rhapsody, and uh, his rhapsodic rhapsody. So what we're doing is paralleling uh, Edmund Thornton Jenkins, who wrote his folk rhapsody 11 years before Gershwin wrote Rhapsody in Blue. And for the ethnomusicologists and musicologists folks, I think they will determine when they hear Edmund Thornton Jenkins and they hear Rhapsody in Blue, because we're closing with Rhapsody in Blue. It's the 100th anniversary of Rhapsody in Blue, uh, February 12th, uh, debuting. So I kind of juxtaposed that uh, in the programming to kind of highlight that. But Gershwin spent time in Charleston when, when he was writing Porgy and Bess based on the book Porgy that turned into a play. And all the, the manuscripts of this is at the Charleston Library Society. If anybody comes to Charleston, they can go to the Charleston Library Society and actually view these things. But he was immersed in that music that Edmund and the Jenkins Orphanage Band had been playing since he was a little boy. And so to hear Rhapsody in Blue start with a clarinet which was Edmund's instrument. And if you go to our poster, I'll send it to you. We have a musician with a clarinet and Edmund is like in the background hovering over his shoulder. Edmund went on from Avery Normal School, which is now the Avery Research at the College of Charleston. He went to Morehouse College. From Morehouse, he went to the Royal Conservatory. And he he became adjunct professor while he was a student because he was so gifted and the jazz idiom had really not been respected by the the um, the white establishment around the world. So Edmund brought a lot to uh, Europe. He, Robert Nathaniel Dett, Samuel Coach Taylor, literally together in school. I mean, these are icons. And Edmund is our father of black contributions to uh, not only America but to South Carolina. So we're happy to debut some of his music. So I hope to see you in the audience. Yes, sir. I'm I'm going to plan it out, and we're we're going to continue to stay in touch. So, um, but thank you, sir, for coming on. Thank I, you. I really appreciate it. this is um this is already one of my favorite interviews of the year, and the year just started. Oh, you're very kind. I'm so, I'm looking forward to supporting the work that you're doing, and you keep doing the good work you're doing. And if there's anything that we can do at Color Music or the Gospel Choir to help you, you know, that's why I started this to be an example to to people like you. Thank you, sir. Really do appreciate it. And listeners of the Just Music Podcast, thank you all for continuing to support us. Um, We just are coming off our last boiler room, which was at Bodega. Uh, Y'all know we're going to continue to do those. We'll keep you all posted with that. We also have a hip hop event that's going to happen February 4th at the Recovery Room downtown Charleston. Y'all can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, JUS Music Podcast. And yeah, until... The next time, stay tuned. Thank y'all so much.